1: called Challenge 2.0. Forty percent of the food produced in the United States is thrown away. That's more than in any other country. Food waste takes up more room in landfills than any other source. Yet hunger, malnutrition, and related health problems continue to increase. More than 13 million Americans live in what are called food deserts. What are they? And how do efforts to achieve what's called food sovereignty aim to bring new life and health to such places. That's the subject of this edition of Challenge 2.0. So we're very pleased to have with us today Ray Williams, who is the Executive Director of the Black Farmers Collective, and Todd Ruffin, who is also one of the people that keeps the collective up and working. So thank you both so much for being with us today.
2: Well, thanks for having us, Jeff.
1: I might start out with what might seem to be an obvious question, and that is, How do you describe a food desert? And Ray, I might ask you to define that for us first.
2: Sure. Um, You know, I think there's a there are a lot of definitions, but in general, it's it's a a space, a neighborhood or even larger where it's hard to get um, whole fresh foods, at least for me. You know, a lack of a supermarket that often Mm -hmm. that often is that or there might be a supermarket, but it's it's uh, too far away for folks that don't have cars. And Mm -hmm. so there are folks living in a neighborhood that don't have access to good, healthy food. And I think we we at Black Farmers Collective try to define that as as whole food Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as fresh as possible.
1: And I might ask, Ray, what was your first encounter with the idea of a food desert? And Taj, I'd also ask the same thing of you. When did you first become conscious of this? Maybe you were experiencing it and just didn't know that's what it was.
2: You know, for me, I, I was, um, you know, born and raised in Seattle and, um, you know, we had a ha, ha, had a car and, and so was not not um, really experiencing a food desert. You know, I think it's pr- pr- probably came about in my travels as I started to move around the U.S. and then the country um, mm-hmm. and to, to learn more about different neighborhoods and how people lived and to realize that some folks, you know, really do rely on that corner store um that that doesn't have enough healthy food to really get them a good diet mm-hmm. so that was probably when i first realized
1: that Taj, how about your experience
0: yeah for me i've grown up um with my grandparents in Berrien, washington and we've always been for my, for my understanding food deserts are in kind of like low income communities and that's all i've grown up in um down here but for me it's been just like a lot of foods that we couldn't have, we didn't have access to. And part of the reason now I feel like why I'm so picky is because of all of the processed foods my body is used to that Mm -hmm. we only could afford at that time.
1: Well, that rolls into another term that I heard when I was just trying to do some research uh, to prepare for this. And that is a term that's uh, food swamp. And that refers exactly to what you were talking about, Taj. And that is places that are deluged by fast food, but nothing else. How does that fit in this equation for both of you?
2: Well, that's interesting. We had, Taj and I had the, that conversation about that term. You know, I think, um, you know, as a former science teacher and then a nutrition teacher, um, you know, if um, and an observer of the world, if you are offered this sort of food and that's what you're going to um, be able to afford and be able Mm -hmm. to, um, and start to eat and to Taz's comments about what you use, you get used to growing up on, you know, I might add fast food places, um, really advertise, um, that, um, you know, they, they, they provide, uh, something that, that people need, right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And that in some place they're actually, um, um, they're equating their food with love, in terms of some of the advertising and so I think um you know that comes from the system that's set up uh, that we have now about the larger food system that that's been created in the United States really driven in many ways by the needs of those large uh, fast food chains uh and then we as uh, consumers sort of get what's left in terms of some of that yeah.
1: And they seem very clever in terms of their marketing, providing little tokens, and there are catchphrases for those which I won't use because they identify just one. But uh, at drawing kids in, and I can imagine being a parent, it's really hard to resist that.
2: Um, you know, yes, and and um, they're food scientists involved in the in the uh, the production uh, of this, and so they pretty much have it down as to what uh, humans like and mm-hmm. be uh, will be attracted to right the perfect amount of salt perfect amount of fat you know how do you you um, you know we have evolved as humans to to actually crave that fat right and to crave that sugar because normally growing in our environments we really needed that but now it's it's really become a, um, bad for us because we love it um, but we're getting way too much of it
1: Todd, you mentioned you made that shift from highly processed fast food. Uh, Was that really tough to make that shift? I mean, did you find that there was a lot of craving that when you weren't getting that, uh, it was really hard to resist?
0: Definitely. I mean, still, even today, it's really hard to resist because it's so easy. I have a McDonald's right down the street from me. And it's like, if I'm so hungry, I don't feel like cooking. Also, if I don't have like the knowledge on how to cook, Also, those fast food restaurants are more accessible for me as well.
1: Another term that I've heard used is food apartheid. Uh, Do you think that's an accurate term to describe the situation that we're encountering, you're encountering? And if so, why? And if not, why not?
2: I think apartheid, so that, you know, the origin of that word is, you know, apart and hate. Mm -hmm. And I think um, it really refers to, you know, not individual um, supermarket choices, but the system that we have. And so, um, you know, I think we're, we're, we're stuck in this system. And I think part of it was fast food restaurants sort of starting to drive the, the larger US food system. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also um, sort of capitalism, and the need to make money and compete with other folks in terms of supermarkets. Um, that's created these spaces. And then I, I have to believe as a social justice background person that people might look at different neighborhoods with different demographics and decide they are either worth spending money more on or not spending money on. Mm-hmm. So I, think I think the term apartheid really then brings it to this larger, not an individual problem, but a, a social problem, um, larger extent, um, which has, which is historically in the United States been, um, anti-black, anti, uh, black and brown folks. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that, I mean, I think it's, uh, um, uh, it's definitely a useful term to get that conversation going Mm -hmm. about not just the individual piece, but the larger social, um, social political, um, and we could definitely go
1: off in that direction. Kaj, any observations that you'd offer on that?
0: Yeah, definitely. The apartheid part of it, for me, I've I've been reading this book called Farming While Black, and it's the folks who created the Soul Fire Farm, or who started the Soul Fire Farm, and they were teaching in the book that it's a human-created system, and so a a food desert suggests that it's just random, or like it's just like natural, something that naturally happens, when really that there's there's somebody, there's a pawn at play or a person at play, a corporation at play, the, the moving instrument at play that stops us um, from gaining access to that good food as well. So yeah, I'd have to agree with Ray on that. And um, they also said, um, "It's can I quote them? A human created system of segregation that regulates certain groups to food opulence and prevents others from accessing life-giving nourishment. Mm -hmm.
1: As someone trained in meteorology atmospheric science, we were observing very distinct differences in maximum temperatures in lower income areas. Uh, And as there was analysis of that, it showed that those were areas that had been redlined They typically put more highways and industrial plants and fewer parks and trees. And so it was a natural outgrowth of that redlining practice that was causing the temperature changes and the the heat stress on people that lived in those areas. Uh, As we look at this problem and we look at it through the lens of corporate control of supermarkets, we see right now that I think it's uh, Kroger and Safeway are applying for a uh, permission to merge that would put 5,000 supermarkets under one corporate banner, as you will. Uh, And we found out during the pandemic that this, you know, that sort of extended supply chain just doesn't work very well. And I think now is the time to get into your program. Uh, You founded that uh, Black Farmers Collective to address that problem and provide a solution. Uh, Ray, perhaps you could begin to uh, tell us a little bit about how you founded this and what exactly Black Farmers Collective is?
2: Um, sure. Thanks. Um, so I, I, uh, you know, I mentioned I was a science teacher and a, a nutrition teacher, and uh, um, you know, I'm also part of the um, Seattle's Black community. I'm mixed race. Uh, my my um, folks moved from the East Coast back in the '50s, so born and raised here in Seattle. Um, choosing really um, to to be part of the Black community and serve that community um, uh, um, for for quite a while. And one of the things that I I looked at was these health disparities. After teaching and and learning about educational disparities and seeing them, I also looked at health disparities and my love of growing things um, and my, you know, growing up in the Northwest and being in nature and really understanding that being outside and being connected with nature uh, is something that's good for you. I came to this idea, well, what can I do? Well, if if you have this idea that growing a little bit of your own food is one of the best things you can do for your health, Mm -hmm. then how do you support communities to do that, right? And so that was the start.
0: These values and like missions that drive our work are, you know, hundreds of years old. Our ancestors were brought here against their will and were brought here because they were so knowledgeable about farming and um, were exploited because of that. Over time, like, we've lost those skills that give us that, like, self-determination and power. Um, Our health in the community, like physical, spiritual, mental health, all together combined, are seriously impacted by access to food. Um, All those things drive our work and really keep us in alignment with wanting to serve the Black community.
2: Exercise, getting better food, connection to the land, a little stress relief while weeding, uh, the community that you build, uh, and economic development. These are all healthy things that could improve that community, especially a community um communities uh, you know experiencing either food insecurity or again the food desert thing um that small project ballooned from smaller and smaller things to uh having the opportunity to start yes farm over on yes or terrace uh farming an acre and a half of freeway right away between yesler and jackson um east of i-5 and so we're we're out there now and that again, started with this idea about growing your own food, but it soon um, developed into an idea about actually taking a look at the whole food system, right? And so that's now where Black Farmers Collective is in that we wanna look at the whole food system. How do we support um, marginalized people, especially black and brown people, but a black leadership with uh, uh, inclusive spaces on the land to try to, to create a little bit more of that local food system you're talking about right and so we start with growing uh, we're now supporting more growers uh, in our space at um at Yeser terrace as well as we're leasing four acres from king county out in uh, redmond woodenville area so now we're able to grow food uh, and, and uh, get it out into the markets uh, mutual aid groups uh, we give away a lot of food we also create spaces for other farmers to grow and sort of develop their craft. And we're trying to do that. I'm also, we're also looking at food distribution. I think that's an important piece. How do we help the local economy? If we can get more and more local people doing food distribution and using Mm -hmm. that food, uh, created some value added products from that food, then I think we create a, a, a local food system. And so that's, that's our, um, you know, it's a huge step. But it's uh, it's a great challenge. And I think what I've been lucky is to be able to bring not only the space, but the young people involved. And Taj is an example of someone that's that, you know, we've been able to to bring into the system and starting to, you know, to grow their their talents. Um, Taj, that's a
1: natural segue to you. And that is what interested you in this and why have you stuck with it?
0: Well, really, it was community that got me there in the first place. And I want to emphasize this a lot, is that there would be no reason for me to be here today if it wasn't for community. And so at Black Farmers Collective, I got a different side of that community where I was able to give back by volunteering. And then when I saw that I had control over um, how to care for food and and give it to my family, and then give it to the community, that's when I was like, okay, I just want to care for my community and sustain my community. And that really feeds me and feeds the community. So I stuck with it because I see the sustainability in it. And I've been learning so much, even though I'm still very new at it. I've been learning just how to grow, how to build, how to connect with other people, how to sell, and just more empathy, honestly, just learning about the land and learning about the people. Well,
1: it's obvious you're uh, an enthusiastic ambassador for this. Have you uh, just, by your contact with friends and uh, other people, have you drawn other people into the collective or just even looking at growing some of their own food?
0: I definitely would say so. I think I've inspired my family a lot. They've all started making their own little garden boxes. And my friends also come to the farms a lot or come to Um, yes farm a lot to to cultivate with us and just be on the land so yeah
1: so ray i might ask you you were talking about the different dimensions of this uh, and how you end up supplying some food do you have uh, like farmers markets just describe how people may come in contact and be able to uh, uh, access or uh, either purchase or receive some of this food
2: Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, I want to, I want to raise up Taj, um, you know, they didn't mention that, um, have taken some food from the farm home and distributed it at some, uh, uh, where some unhoused folks live, uh, down in the neighborhood down there. And so I Mm -hmm. think that's a, that was, that's just something that, that happened, you know, um, and, and that's something that I think, um, that being, being able to grow the food and having it there allows you to do, right? I get to, I get to take and, and get some nice bunches of very fresh collard greens and give it to some of the, um, the, the, I will say elder ladies in the community. Um, really liking that, you know, as an, again, building community around this, you know, we've also been able to, Mm -hmm. um, to harvest and, uh, give it out you know um yes farm is right near yes or terrace and there's some other folks that give food out in that neighborhood and we've been able to join those efforts by adding fresh food and certainly the uh, residents of the yes or terrace seattle housing authority have have um you know both benefited from the food we've been able to give but we also have some community spots and so mm-hmm. some of the folks are gardening down there and we're learning so much from their expertise from, the, from what, what they're bringing and where they're growing. Um, we also are, are, are part of markets. I think, you know, you start small and you have these expectations, you're gonna go with some small markets. There's African community housing, has a market in Delridge, another classic uh, food desert space. And so the housing is creating a, a market there. We've recently um, joined uh, the start of a, of a great system that's going on in Skyway as they're starting as a community to build a market and and a more of a local food system. Um, And we also sell at uh, the university farmer's market, right? An an old traditional farmer's market space. Um, You know, our farm manager, Masra actually uh, was part of a youth gardening program that started and had some shop up there back in the day. He then stayed with farming. We were able to pick him up and he is a farm manager now. And so I think it's full circle now that he brings the produce he, that he grows out to that same market,
1: mm-hmm. you
2: know, mm-hmm. as an adult. So I think we're, we're there. We we share a little bit with some of uh, local restaurants. You know, that's something that we wanna, want to um, want to increase. And then every year, you know, we're building on what we're doing. So I think, you know, being part of a of the, um, you know, Seattle has a great, vibrant food system. And so there's no reason that we can't um, help some of these chefs get the very freshest um, food, you know, out to their uh, high value customers too. I mean, we have to think about this as, as, um, you know, how do you make a model where someone can actually grow food and, and make a living at it, you know?
1: So for people who don't necessarily live in a food desert, uh, are there some lessons that they could learn from your experience and your work?
2: Oh, definitely. I think, um, you know, just because there's fresh food on your plate, you don't necessarily know where that comes from. Mm-hmm. And so just especially for youth, this idea that um, that you can come to an urban space that has a farm, has a growing farm there uh, to developing um, we're we're getting more and more uh, youth classes coming, everything from uh, uh, preschool kids and uh, and a lesson I developed on the food system and the food system game, to college students, the Seattle University uh, engineering students helping us design solar, and and uh, and University of Washington students getting down there, um, and then then the local community. I think you know we've had. Folks that have spent a little time gardening or a lot of time volunteering, and they get this benefit of being able to give back to community, but also being outside, and mm-hmm. and, and being part of growing something. So I think, um, you know, for that. And then there's the folks that have just gotten into it and discovered that they really love some food, and they're be able they can grow it for themselves on a small little community plot that we have. So I think there's there's been a lot of benefit. Um, and I, you know, I would have to say I may be the the most beneficial. This has really stretched me as a, a professional retired guy to, to go out and try to um, build something that I think is going to be a, a real jewel for the city of Seattle. If you're mm-hmm. talking about Yes Farm, um, to build something that... Um, will help young people get into the food system, the whole organization, you know, together. And then for me, just uh, keeping young by trying to keep up with, with Taj and, and the crew. So, um, I definitely want to throw that in.
1: I know from personal experience, that can be a challenge in itself. But Taj, I might ask you, uh, how do you see this speak to you for your plans for the next year, for the next five years?
0: Yeah, I think Like really viewing this, I think that I would want my own land. Um, Nothing too big, but I I really feel like I can cultivate that for my family, honestly, and create something for them that they can fall back on as well.
1: So I guess we might end with a question. uh, People watching this, people listening that say this is a great idea uh, and the issue of food deserts is one that concerns us. Uh, how would you suggest they help? What would both of you ask people to do if they'd like to help out in some shape or form? And Taj, I might begin with you and then Ray will let you have the last word on this.
0: Yeah, I definitely would love to see people out on the farm with us more, um, volunteering or even getting involved with mutual aid. Um, We'd love to connect and um, yeah, just click the
2: link down below.
1: Okay. Ray, what would, you, uh, what would you ask people to do or offer?
2: Well, and I think, thank, thank you, Taj, for bringing it. that. It's a basic thing is to come out and see the farm, mm-hmm. right? To, to, to be able to share that so we can share this, our hard work with you, I think is, is number one, um, whether you're working or just visiting. Um, and so you can, you, can, you can write us to get that. You know, we're a nonprofit and we accept donations and it's that time of year. So if That's you right. are so inclined to define to, um, you know, we're, we're new and we don't have a huge development department, but, you know, we, we do take notations and we've been very fortunate to get a lot of small donations and then support from larger organizations and, and, and larger donations and, and those donations help us to continue to hire people, uh, and, and, uh, and grow food and give it away. Um, uh, because you can't make a lot of money right now selling lettuce, right? So I think that would right. that would be, you know, the big thing for us. And, I, you know, I want to end that That Taj brought up something about ownership. And we've gone from a, a, a pretty interesting contract with the Washington Department of Transportation and Seattle Housing Authority at Yesler to uh, leasing land from King County. And the next step is to trying to buy something a local farm and if a nonprofit can buy it, and then keep a, a a farmable land in farming and not development, then that is that next step and then you get, we mm-hmm. get an opportunity to really, um, you know I say release the brilliance of these young folks about how to move forward in the food system so um, Love, love to have folks contact us. We we want to be open. It's a little cold and wet, but I would love to still give some tours here this winter. And then as we move into the spring, love to hear from you.
1: Well, I thank you both, uh, Taj and Ray, and uh, hope that those of you watching out there will do just that. Follow up on the invitation to visit and also support this and also to learn more about the issue of food deserts. It's through that information that we can understand more about the problem and what we are called to do uh, individually and collectively. So, Ray and Taj, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Um, Good luck.
1: And thank you all for tuning into this edition of Challenge 2.0. We hope you'll join us again next week. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining and thought-provoking and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable. Perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization.